Welcome back to the All Things Food podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Hursthouse. I am a registered dietitian, foodie, and founder of Nikki Hursthouse Nutrition, a dietetic practice specializing in all things gut health. This week on the podcast, I am chatting with Emma Sterling. Emma is an advanced accredited practicing dietitian, the director of Scoop Nutrition Consultancy, and an academic specializing in food science, gastronomy, and culinary nutrition. Emma is recognized as one of Australia's innovative, entrepreneurial, and leading accredited practicing dietitians in the area of food and culinary nutrition and effective nutrition communication. Emma has recently joined the Australian Catholic University as a senior lecturer and course coordinator in the Department of Nutrition and Public Health, creating programs for chefs, nutritionists, health professionals and more. I first met Emma in Melbourne when I was a new grad dietitian and I am so happy to reconnect with Emma after many, many years for this conversation today. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. I'm really excited to have you on the show today and especially for the main topic we are talking about, culinary nutrition. But before we dive into the details of what culinary nutrition is and what it means, I'd love if you could take me back to where your story begins and what is the journey that you've taken as a dietitian to get to where you are today? Wow, oh, that's great. Thanks, Nikki. <laughs> a big ask. Um, but yeah, look, it's so fabulous to be back with you and so lovely to reconnect with you after a few years. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on, you know, our connection as we go. Uh, wow. So I've been a dietitian for nearly 30 years, so a long time uh, I here in Australia, but I've also worked overseas. And I think where it's funny how you're for a long time, I think I probably felt that I was a bit of a jack of all trades with my career. I kind of love so much about nutrition and I had actually had quite a range of different experiences. But now when I look back, it was really that passion for food. So I have a very food first philosophy and a lot of my uh, opportunities when where I went were around that idea of food. So I you know, obviously had a, a very passionate love of food. So if we start um, back, obviously, um, as a young child and as a teenager, I used to love cooking and I had a family of great cooks. Uh, and so that led on to my work as a dietitian. In the early years, I actually was um, very fortunate to work in London at Great Ormond Street, the big children's hospital as a paediatric dietitian. But while I was waiting to um, get my registration in the UK, I actually worked for nine months in the diet kitchen. So it was quite a different experience to make, you know, low-protein biscuits for kids with phenylketonuria and um, doctor up these, you know, incredible um, different foods um, and deliver them to the ward. So I had a, quite a bit of that food service love but in a very specialised um, setting early on. Mm. And then, you know, over the years I've worked in the media, I've worked in food industry, I've been my own consultant, I've done, you know, lots and lots of projects and really what tied it all together um, was food. And then we, um, you know, joined together with the social media sort of bandwagon of about 10 years ago and even that was just another incredible opportunity because particularly when Instagram launched, it all had to be visual. So the idea that, you know, food photography and food styling. So over the years I've had... Um, a lot of opportunity to really become an expert in everything from the paddock right through to the plate 
of food, working with farmers, working with producers, working in food regulations, working in food product development, working in supply chains, uh, working with cookbooks, publishing and recipe styling and photographers and recipe development and criteria and, you know, it goes on and on and on. So it's it was that love of food that really brought me um, then to academia and becoming a lecturer um, and being able to then craft our new programs for nutrition and dietetics and put a lot more of that sort of food first philosophy into the courses. Mm. Oh, such a great journey and so much ahead of you still as well. Um, yes, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I love the food first approach and just um, hearing how you've woven that passion for food through all these different areas and kind of knowing that there isn't really these defined lines or defined sort of roles and there is a role for like your skills and dietetic skills to play in within all these different areas yeah no absolutely I think I think you know certainly um the time I graduated we were was very much a push for the profession to be scientists you know we really wanted to be seen to be credible health professionals expert scientists so the idea of actually being connected to um, the diet kitchen or into food service it wasn't particularly sexy for our profession as you know yeah, yeah and but it had been historically really where we rose from as a profession you know we always mm. were um, deeply connected in that space but I, it's almost like you know what what it was old has come new again because we're repack culinary nutrition is not particularly new but we're repackaging it and we're taking the profession into whole new um, frontiers because we didn't have meal delivery. We didn't have the crisis that we have in aged care and, you know, fabulous chefs like Maggie Beer in Australia trying to revolutionise that space. You know, mm. there's so much more um, opportunities for dietitians in this space, but it's taking us into new careers and, and new frontiers, which is which is wonderful. Mm, yeah. And so there doesn't really seem to be one agreed definition of culinary nutrition, but from your understanding and your perspective and your work, what what is culinary nutrition? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question because it's funny if you go searching, and believe me, I have, there isn't mm -hmm. um, a defined definition. There are a couple of... Um, papers and I can share them for the show notes if you like around culinary medicine yeah. and you know and particularly also lifestyle medicine so we we know that that um, those terms are fairly well defined and there's certainly if you look to places like particularly other markets so the UK and the USA so in America for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics they have a food and culinary professionals, you know, practice groups, so like a subgroup. Mm. And so that's been, you know, established for, you know, well over a decade, so a long time. So um, I actually have a project on at the moment to work um, a little research project to try and define um, the terms of culinary nutrition because I think it's really important, particularly if we start to think as dietitians about our competencies for our graduates or for, you know, us as practitioners and almost working in new fields but also working with new tools and new terminology mm. it is important to define it but a simple definition I think if you just ask me personally um, it is that food first philosophy it is about putting deliciousness back into nutrition you know we want to lead with everything being um, delicious so but that includes flavor science and sensory science and you know research about meal environments and shared meals or what we call um commensality so that idea of mm. 
the, everything around the, the the food, the meal, and the preparation of it is um, the, that that kind of field. And you need to be experts, as I said, everything from you know supply chains, yeah, and sustainable sourcing, right through to how do you run a, a cook sortation or a culinary nutrition intervention in your private practice? Mm. How do you set up the lighting, the ca- you know, all that? It, it can be a whole gamut of, of yeah. different skills. Yeah, and I mean it's about bringing the sort of art and science together in cooking, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we know um, that there is very good research. We need more, and we need more, um, you know, dietitians to work in this space. But there certainly is research we know around shared meals and cooking. So things like not only just um, improving food literacy, um, improving um, dietary quality, but Broader than that, things like um, improving um, social cohesiveness, so family cohesiveness. There's all these studies about that shared meal environment. Mm. Um, Studies on, you know, toddlers and communication development, you know, that idea of the shared meal. So we've got to remember that uh, food is so much more than nutrients and, and, and sitting down to cook and a meal is so much more than just the food on the plate. It's the environment, it's that eating environment. But then when you look at the art of um, culinary nutrition, I mean, gosh, we've got a lot to learn as dietitians. And I think we it's an exciting time for us. I mean, some dietitians have gone um, on and retrained as chefs. Some have come to our profession as being home economists or chefs. Um, I would like to see that part of our base skill set and mm. some of our competencies expands into being a little bit more the art of, of food styling, of deliciousness, of you know, um, really um, the practical um, culinary nutrition, seeing culinary nutrition as a dietetic intervention, you know, really yeah. is a, a part of our toolkit for helping um, um, people achieve their goals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much that can be learned through this the practical application rather than just sort of lecturing or providing, you know, information resources and yeah. Absolutely, like Nikki. And, and looking at other markets, as I say, I mean, I think we are often incredibly good at being innovators in Australia and New Zealand, and I think we will continue to, to do that. But there is always opportunity to look outside and, you know, learn some lessons, uh, particularly the um, area of teaching kitchens and um, doctors and the medical students learning a little bit of cooking and a bit of nutrition that's quite a big push in certain parts of the USA um, I know at Boston Hospital so at Boston and they have the medical school within the hospital they actually have what they call the teaching kitchen and not only is it um, you know there's the beautiful rooftop vegetable garden that feeds the kitchen um, and they have an emergency food pantry and all these things but it's more than that like there's people that might be um, in drug and alcohol rehab programs or other inpatient programs where there's a longer length of stay and they will actually come and do cooking classes within the hospital with the dietitians. Mm. All the medical students, all the dental students, all the other allied health students come and do a little bit of, you know, they learn their nutrition, um, which is part of their core curriculum, in a hands-on, authentic way within the kitchen. So, you know, there's a lot that we have that's just one example there's many more but certainly it's um really exciting times ahead of um, Mm. what what we've got coming 
It is. It's so exciting. And so talk to me about your current role and the the course that you have worked so hard on. <laughs> so um, I joined in my new position. I'm at Australian Catholic University. I joined here just over a year ago and I sort of um, joined following um, a colleague and who was um, the discipline lead. We were both at La Trobe University together for about eight years and so now we're both at ACU. And Sharon Coxford and I have had and always um, really since the day we met this sort of affinity for, you know, both mutual admiration society, I call it. You know, we both have the same philosophy around being dietitians. Sharon's quite um, inspirational in herself. She's had a cooking school in Istanbul and worked all around the world. And um, part of her research expertise is in uh, what we call dietary acculturation. So, how she's particularly looked at Turkish migrants and how their diets change and their cooking habits change with migration. Mm. So really fascinating. But we've always um, had this dream to create postgraduate courses, well, uh, certainly firstly put more of culinary nutrition into our undergraduate nutrition degrees and into our dietetics programs. And we are launching dietetics next year at ACU. But we also had this dream, which we've been able to achieve, which we're launching next year, um, called the Graduate Certificate in Culinary Nutrition Science. And the idea is that it will be a a graduate certificate is for university subjects. You can do it, you know, part-time and extended. I would love to see if we could get some New Zealand, you know, dietitians (laughs) interested because all the coursework could be done online and then you would just have to come to Melbourne or Sydney for a block, like a week block to do the cooking components. And we will invite into that this lovely melting pot um, dietitians, nutritionists, chefs, home economists, uh, GPs, other allied health professionals, you know, Mm. anyone that is really connected by foods that has different skill sets, different competencies to come and learn advanced skills in culinary nutrition science but then go back to your field of practice. So it's like an interprofessional postgraduate um, course. That's and amazing, so, yeah. Yeah, so we can't wait. So we're building that at the moment for launch next year. Uh, there'll be two core units, um, one about sort of advanced culinary nutrition principles, one um, on special diets, and then there'll be just two that um, are made up of electives. So we we hope that people will come with some sort of vision to either enhance their career, enhance their current um, workplace, or maybe even shift careers a little bit, so you'll be able to do an elective, like a mini research project um, in culinary nutrition. We've got some study tours. If we ever can open up our, our borders, <laughs> uh, we've got a partnership um, in the Solomon Islands and in Bali with um, Janet Demurf, who's um, quite famous for the Bali Food Festival, looking at documenting parts of the Indonesian diet. Um, we've got right. a campus with ACU in Rome, so we hope to do a bit of slow food. So. The future looks amazing in being able yeah. to bring people together and really specialise in and create another level of continuing professional development around culinary mm. nutrition. Oh, it's so exciting. Those borders better be open because I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you, Nikki. And, yeah. you know, um, the good thing about the way we're structuring the course, um, and we I can certainly we can include a link in the show notes, is um it can be taken as micro-credentials as well. So it's for busy professionals. You'll be able mm. to spread, spread it out over time and just treat it as if it's part of professional development. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, which is just amazing because obviously as dietitians and other health professionals, there's so much ongoing professional development needed every year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, back when I was a new grad dietitian, I wrote a piece for your blog, Scoop Nutrition, uh, about how I believe that cooking could save the world. And I know that you feel the same way about that. So what is happening at the moment with the rates of cooking and sort of the levels of cooking skills and has COVID-19 and the lockdowns been positive or negative on this, do you think? Look, it's so fascinating and I'm aware of quite a lot of research going on at the moment. I think we still need a little bit more time to Mm. see the effect and particularly now, you know, on this day when we're recording when half of Australia is in lockdown again. So absolutely overall the trends are that we've seen, um, you know, declines in both food literacy and culinary competencies. Mm -hmm. And certainly uh, we know that, you know, national nutrition surveys and the like talk to us more about um, the rise in, uh, you know, convenience foods and maybe eating, you know, the rise in eating out of the home. So there's enough data to suggest that there's trends in that space. Mm. And to counter that, there's also been some incredible programs in trying to recognise that we need to um, maintain culinary competencies and maintain food literacies, whether that's programs in schools or in workplaces and so on. Yeah. Um, but I think COVID has been such an interesting phenomenon and I always like to look at some positives out of, you know, particularly some global crises. And it's been so joyful to see people cooking, like, my gosh, you know, and uh, I've, and, and also the way that it's brought communities together and that feeling of hope and joy. I mean, I've been able to cook with some of my favourite, you know, top chefs around the world because they've mm. been, you know, on Instagram lives or Zoom cooking. Um, you know, I watched um, Jamie Oliver doing a live cooking and then Oprah jumps in and I mean like it's just it was a quite an incredible phenomenon and certainly in the first waves we saw you know the lockdown lasagna and the banana bread bonanza and the the sourdough starters being shared <laughs> by everyone and everyone's baking yeah. bread and um, people had more time and, and recognized that maybe there is a joy and a love of cooking if you have the time yeah but I, we've also seen on the reverse, um, I certainly know that, you know, my, our little village um, just here in the inner west of Melbourne, I mean, the, the, uh, from the Uber Eats and the Deliveroo and the delivery drivers, I mean, there's still a lot of takeaways and delivered food going out and about. And we are wondering, I've also seen a lot of jars of pasta sauce and things, you know, when you go to the supermarket, the jars of pasta sauce are all gone. So are people yeah. cooking are cooking, or are they arranging food? Are they heating up a bit of sauce? You know, what is really cooking these days? You know, am mm. I a cook if I heat up a bit of sauce and throw it on some pasta? Which I think is okay if that, you know, if you've put some love into that meal. So I really think we struggle in nutrition science not having timely data. And one of my other big passions is, which really rose through social media, is the idea of championing more um, data analytics for our profession. We really don't know what people are eating um, very clearly. And we certainly will get some great research reports and data coming out of the pandemic. Um, But the legacy of whether that, once everyone goes back to busy lives and, We've experienced that in Melbourne. The moment 
we were all kind of allowed out of lockdown and back to normal for free. You, you slip back into those old habits, you know. Yeah. Didn't do my yoga every day that I was still going to do and all the things that we did in the lockdown that you said you were going to keep doing. So mm. I think it's fascinating um, but particularly watching the trends coming out and there will be a flow-on effect and, and certainly the passion for cooking has been reignited and it's up to us as dietitians to kind of seize that moment and yeah. continue to inspire people and, and to encourage mm. people. Mm, yeah and you did mention the large number of delivery drivers delivering food and that's you know the likes of uber eats and other delivered meal services they've been around but i guess the reliance on them has kind of increased because sometimes that was what people could access in lockdown if they didn't feel like cooking yeah um but i guess long term what sort of effect do these services have on on people's cooking skills? Well, that's one thing that does concern me, that, that they will we'll lose the connection to cooking, but in, in a way we actually lose the connection to food. And if we lose our connection to food, we don't really know where our food comes from. So we, we lose our connection to our fa- lovely farmers um, and that's our food producers and that it also worries me with the need for us to do uh, so much more towards food sustainability um, mm. and sustainable development goals and all the things that we worry about um, as nutritionists and dietitians in this space. Food waste, you know, this, we've got so many challenges ahead that it's just that loss of connection to your food. You don't, you've yeah. lost control and you've lost the connection. So it's yeah. not just the cooking, it's the whole food supply chain mm. issue. And, mm. look, don't get me wrong, I love a takeaway. I love to eat out. Um, I love chefs and restaurants. Um, you can absolutely eat healthy and have delivered food these days. The quality and, and the scope of what you can get is incredible. And hospitality has been hit incredibly hard around the globe. And I, my heart goes out to my friends with restaurants and cafes and, you know, my chef friends. And they were stepping up to fulfill um, a demand. So, you know, it's, but it's just, it's almost like this, you know, this disruptive technology that we experienced mm. with, you know, Twitter and Instagram years back. And, and, and when we, the height of the blogging days and social media, you know, that was so disruptive and it changed so much about the way we live. And, and the pandemic has done that again. Mm. Um, and, and the launch of delivered food. And until we get, good data we're a little bit blind to um what you know what really what really is going on but we certainly need to champion um home cooking or or whether it's just home meal preparation or arranging certain ingredients and you feel like you've cooked the meal i'm okay with that because it it helps with the connect and it's going to help us conquer some of the huge issues we have around climate change and food sustainability as well Mm, yeah And um, I guess the other thing that I always sort of ponder about, apart from delivered meals and these sort of delivered meal services, is the effect that fad diets have on people's relationship with food in the long run. But I guess that whole uh, 
understanding around food and cooking and that connection with food as well. I guess because fad diets are very prescriptive and it's not necessarily looking at where your foods come from and what's local and what's in season and, and all of these sort of things that kind of bring more of a connection to food. Is there anything that you've come across over the years um, that's really highlighted anything there? Yeah. No, look, I think, I mean, as we would all agree as, as dietitians, some certain um, groups of fad diets can be incredibly harmful to health, um, can lead to orthorexia. You know, there's, there's just, there's a lot of risk with fads. But I'm also coming from a culinary nutrition lens I love a food trend, you know. I love a flavour trend. I love it when a new, you know, whether it's uh, I think uh, Filipino cuisine, you know, is starting mm. to trend a little bit in Melbourne. So it's it's trends and fads will always come and go, whether they're in a particular fad diet or whether it's just a trend in food. We have to appreciate that that's just part. I mean, it certainly was there thirty years ago, Nikki. I can tell you, and longer. Yeah. So. Yeah. We do have to be as um, health professionals and practitioners, and this is where I think social media, for those that are active in the space, can be an incredible surveillance tool and a monitoring tool because we need to ride the waves of the trends. We need to understand Mm. the fads so that we can then apply that knowledge to guide people, you know, the right way through our culinary nutrition interventions and other things. Mm. So... Some of them can be positive. Some of some fat diets are quite reliant on cooking, you know, whether it's raw diet or whole food, you know, like plant. And, yeah. you know, we're seeing yeah. now with the plant-based movements, there's some real positives about that movement. But we, we still need to really understand those trends because they can, you know, thou should do no harm. We don't want them to do harm. And mm. we certainly don't want people to be misled that they are, you know, promoting false and misleading advice around, you know, follow this fad and or follow this diet trend and you you don't need to have your cancer therapy or you don't need to, yeah, you know, yeah. adopt conventional medicine. We, yeah. we need to be absolutely good advocates and good surveillance people to watch out for these things and, and report and alert and and give a balanced view to our people that mm. seek, seek our mm. advice. Yeah, yeah. It's so true, isn't it? And it's just making sure that that do no harm yeah. uh, aspect comes back to all of it. Um, and I guess another area that can be a bit contentious is the area of processed and packaged foods in the world of nutrition and health. And And I remember last year during lockdown you did this great um, webinar about pantry essentials. And one thing that was really great about that was that you weren't afraid to recommend using some packaged foods like canned soup because that's something that's very useful to form the basis of a meal. So where do you stand with regards to like pre-made foods and packaging canned foods and cooking and and how do we find this middle ground and the messaging around packaged and processed foods? Yeah, look, it's so interesting and I probably should declare that um, that that webinar was, um, that there was sponsorship involved. Obviously, I was there as the the expert so there was a, a... Canned soup was one of the themes there, but I was absolutely very happy and and part of um, my toolkit is to talk about um, convenience meals, convenience foods, pantry staples. I remember a few years back, Nikki, when we, you know, we used to talk about dietitians 
there was a lot in the media about shopping the you know the perimeter of the supermarket mm. because you get the you get the whole foods and the fresh foods and you'd avoid the processed foods but you know and, and or there's like don't eat anything that has more than five ingredients or ingredients that you don't understand in the household uh, as a food scientist as well i think that we need to look at things very carefully and and be careful of making sweeping claims in this space so I love a recipe that has 30 ingredients because they might be all beautiful, you know, culinary herbs and spices. So if a dish has more than five ingredients, that could be amazing for me. If a, and a, a packaged food could be, um, you know, a lovely uh, spice uh, mix or a spice rub or something. So, you know, those sweeping statements can be, uh, we have to be careful about. We also need to look at our target audience for, at the time for those messages because some people opening a jar of packaged pasta sauce and learning how to boil some pasta so it's al dente and not completely you know stuck to the bottom of the pot that's cooking and that's Mm. an advanced skill for them and I would much prefer that they did that Um, and then at the next you know intervention learnt to chop some mushrooms up and maybe some chuck in a handful of baby spinach leaves so that it even enhanced that meal a little bit further. That's okay for particular target audiences. So, yeah, I'm a little bit on the fence about sweeping claims, but obviously we need to be very mindful that we have to work against ultra-processed, you know, food supply. We need to move more and more people um, to have a closer connection to their food and often that means closer to the natural source and cooking with foods that and ingredients that look recognizable and buying packaged foods <laughs> it has household mm. named ingredients um and i you know I, i'm quite positive about the future in that space especially if we um all us good dietitians and nutritionists getting keep getting involved mm, yeah it's a big movement isn't it i guess a big one because if we look at the food system as a whole there's there's a lot that I think a lot of people would like to change. Um, and, you know, the food industry plays a really big role in that. I guess from culinary, the culinary nutrition perspective, how how does culinary nutrition and sort of that, that kind of, we'll call it a movement, <laughs> influence the food system uh, to move towards more sustainable eating practices? Yeah, so look, again, it's it's a fairly big statement, but if you just think about we know that the power comes in many. So the idea of changing, you know, all our household backyards from landscaping to foodscaping, you know, the future is having much more food produced, not just in the community garden, but in our homes, whether it's having aquaculture in our backyards, having mushroom walls growing next to the steam of our shower so that we can, you know, be more self-sufficient. And that if we can keep cooking skills alive and keep those skills alive and, and see that as part of our future where every individual house is making a difference mm. and our counts, it's a, the council support, you know, curbside um, pickup of our green waste if you don't want to compost. I mean, there's so much more we could be, be doing. Then that disrupts the reliance on, you know, huge um, supermarkets. We have a much we can have community food hubs. We can have community food swaps. We can do a lot more. And we can take back some of that control. And 
So that's one idea where the idea of uh, the, the skills of cooking and culinary nutrition, it's a really great um, practical fight for dietitians to take on. Mm. But at the same time, I think having worked um, with food industry over years um, as a consultant, I, I do think that, yes, there are issues, but if you look historically, a lot of the issues have just slowly you know, we've just got so disrupted over time and things like the delivered meals that we were talking about. I mean, it's it's not even been 10 years that we've had Uber yeah. Eats and, you know, like it's it's recent history and mm. it's just changed the way we eat so dra- dra- dramatically. So I do think there are is a role for dietitians working in food industry because I think we need to be there to be the champions and, and that my colleagues that are in that space are doing an admirable job. Um, and we just have to tackle it at all angles. And for me, in people's homes, with them, you've got the mass number of people taking back the control yeah. of their food. That's that's a great approach. Mm, mm, absolutely. And culinary nutrition. We've talked about it from the perspective of you know an area uh, of practice within a dietitian's private practice or within their kind of professional role in any way. But what about just in the everyday individual, is that is it a sort of a term that is going to become normal, like in everyday people, or is it more just that's the professional approach to implementing cooking skills in individuals and getting them yeah. into the kitchen? Yeah, look, I, I hope and I think that's part of my uh, dream and the work that I'm doing with Sharon at ACU and, you know, certainly work that we're not doing anything new. As I said, there's a lot of um, this work has been done in different ways. We're kind of repackaging colour nutrition in a new way. Mm. But I certainly um, think that, yeah, the the average consumer or the average client that comes to a dietitian's private practice is not going to say, oh, I'm here for a culinary nutrition consult <laughs> or I'd like to know if you do cook-alongs because I'd like to join you once a week from, or do you do a, pa-? but we, we do do pantry, you know, tours and we do shopping tours. You think about, you know, yeah. particularly things like diabetes. So we are actually already doing work in that space. So mm. we yeah. start by forming um and getting our terminology right, we and at the academic level, obviously, we're starting to do that. We start building new courses and we start um, integrating culinary nutrition terminology into our curriculum and into our practices. It will then become some of our, um, make its way into our competency standards. So it's part of, you know, so I mm. think maybe in 10 years, consumers will start to say culinary nutrition, but probably now they just say healthy cooking, Nikki. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want I want to learn how to do healthy cooking. Yeah. 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 I want to learn how to cook full stop. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If we're looking um at the individual, everyday eater, what are some simple things that they can do every day that can lead them sort of a bit closer to having that connection with food and improving their cooking skills? Yeah, look, I think that um, there are good programs and it, it takes a level of motivation. So I think we need to look at where people might be receptive to, you know, certainly the person that knocks on the door and comes to see you um, and wants to learn more about healthy cooking. Traditionally, you know, that might have been something um, from, um, you know, the stages of change where they've had mm-hmm. a health scare, they've had a health scare or their midlife and they're looking for those sort of things. Yeah. What we really need to think more cleverly 
and particularly more entrepreneurially as dietitians is what services can we offer that make it easier for people to, to upskill? So, you know, we've yeah. talked about primary school models. We're having, you know, you're having a kitchen garden and, and cooking classes. We need to champion for food studies and food science and food technology in high schools. But what some of the really interesting spaces is a lot of um, the forward-thinking sort of modern workplaces are now seeing cooking classes as part of um you know, workplace well-being or also team building days. So there's yeah. a lot of corporate work that's being done. I've yeah. shared before on other presentations, you know, there was this dream job for me. I wish I had my time again, mm. advertised for Spotify in, in New York uh, yes, to be the, yeah. head of, the head of food. And you would, they, you know, some of the big tech companies, they're actually running workplace canteens and they're, you know, incentivizing staff towards the healthier choices and controlling the menu and providing free lunches that have got healthy options and offering cooking classes in the evening. So there's so many ways, um, plus even just with your own private practice, and we've seen in the pandemic, you can run a cooking class online Mm. as a dietetic intervention, offer that, whether it's tailored towards newly diagnosed type 2 diabetes or whether it's for busy mums, if you tailor it, there's people that are just absolutely hungry for that and they're seeking it out from non-nutrition, non-dietetic professionals. They're just going off to, to do a class anyway. Yeah. So that's where we need to be clever because uh, people are really receptive. The pandemic's shown us that. They really are, can be quite see a lot of joy in cooking, but we need to make it easier for them to be able to mm. upskill and do it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And... You know, even from some of my private clients, it's it's the it's the life shift of COVID or having a baby or a different job, different commute, and just one of those this, things changes and their whole routine changes. Everything they've done for the past 10, 15 years, completely gone. And they're, they're sort of sometimes in the stagnant spot of, well, I really love to cook, but I just, I can't anymore, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. this, and then the longer they go of not being, not doing it, the harder it is to start yeah. again. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, on that note, Nikki, I mean, I could probably ask you how did, you know, when did you first learn to cook? I mean, I was surrounded by, a, I grew up with in the seventies with a mother who only worked part-time. So she was there, you know, after school cooking, we, and this whole lovely um, extended family of, of really, lovely country farm farmers and country farm wives that were amazing cooks and spending all my school holidays around cooks but in the in today's world with um you know the typically uh both parents working long hours and long daycare think about that setting alone that um most uh you know, long daycare centres these days should have a consultant dietitian. Mm. They do provide breakfast. They do provide a cooked lunch. Often they're designing new childcare centres where the kitchen is open to the um, the room so that the um, the kids can see people cooking. Yeah. They 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 value the um, exposure to the cooking smells and the all the food experiences around getting kids into food of variety and, and food mm. development. Mm. So there's whole menu review standards we need and whole culinary nutrition, you know, so culinary nutrition is not just, you know, just with one-on-ones. We yeah. might need to start really early and intervene really early and get get our next generation of toddlers pretty savvy because, you know, they're not at home learning that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's just that 
um, from a young age, getting them to know where it's come from so it doesn't yes. just appear in front of them on a plate. So yeah, but what happened before it came here and then what right. happened before it was in the kitchen and connecting those yeah. dots in a very simplistic way. That's right. In Japan, I was really lucky a number of years back now to travel to Japan and Japanese government has done quite an extraordinary job in investing in, in dietitians. So most you know, primary schools have a dietitian. Um, and they have, and different here because they obviously have a hot school lunch, you know, they have a cooked lunch program. So schools that have, and, and countries that have a cooked lunch program, there's obviously more need for, you know, a dietitian intervention because mm. they're part of helping to run the food service. But we, all the teachers sat in the classroom and ate lunch with their kids. There was, yeah. The kids, you know, served out and delivered. But the dietitian would come around um, on a schedule over the week and give it like a little five-minute mini education to the students so I think the day we were there we were had this um some days they have a traditional Japanese diet and and that's mandated and then other days they have a bit more of a western influence oh, interesting so yeah. I was there on the tradition and there's a number of days on the menu cycle it's all part, criteria across you know the nation so I was there the day that um, we had some sort of flying fish soup you know with broth and noodles and but yeah. she actually brought the raw fish in um, and held it up in class and showed the gills and the flying, you know, <laughs> the flying gills and talked to them about what they were eating. And it was like five-minute mini-education. But, you know, mm. how that, that, that connection to the food. And they were growing yeah. soybeans in their garden and making miso. And it was incredible what they were doing just within the school. So mm. maybe um, maybe some of like my teenager's generation, you know, maybe the, with that tech generation we, we need to work harder but um, there's some great things happening with with young kids and mm. so many more opportunities for dietitians to, to yeah. advocate for funding to advocate for our role in in those settings as well mm, mm. and a question I like to ask all of my podcast guests is if you had one wish to change something overnight in the world of food and health what would it be uh yeah look um I think that it would be about having greater respect. If I could wave a magic wand and make everyone see that provenance is important, so that idea of connection to our food supply is so important, uh, you know, it's uh, very much a pipe dream, but how wonderful would that be? be? It's mm -hmm. really just winding back the clock and it's not that many generations back that we yeah. explicitly had that um, direct connection to our food supply. So we, we're not going to achieve that. I'm a realist. Yeah. Um, and I love technology and I'm fairly um, uh, optimistic about our food future. But, but we need to find formal ways now to make that happen because mm. we need to intervene because if we lose that, then I'm not very hopeful anymore. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not hopeful that we can solve some of these very wicked issues facing our, you know, our precious planet. Mm, mm. yeah food and that connection and just understanding the journey and how it's got to you and ultimately it's a respect for food that's right complete yeah. respect for food isn't it um which yeah if we could change that overnight I agree it would be fantastic <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't mean uh we can't still work on it every day <laughs> that's right and look that's why we love you know even the thing about incorporating some study tours I mean I'm a realist we're going to have an internationalized globalized food system I mean we, we there's no way 
we've got enough food to feed everyone, but we, we you know, we need better technology and, and less food waste and, and more yeah. equi- equitable access. And, you know, we, we're going to have to work, though, with global food systems. But by mm-hmm. taking um, my undergraduate students and hopefully those of you that come and do the grad certain things, by say, going to Indonesia and getting out into the, the countryside where there, the life is a bit simpler and there is that connection to food and making and documenting some of that diet and documenting um, the lifestyle. I mean, it's just it's just that eye opener. So we need yeah. to we need to show our students to that reconnection and some some they've just not had it in their lifetime. Yeah, mm, I know. And those experiences are just they're eye opening. And for a lot of people, they do change their life or they change Absolutely. the course of their life as well. Yeah, and then you you think about well, what, where am I buying my rice from, and and you know, who has worked? How hard have people worked to produce the food that I'm just yeah you know blindly putting into my supermarket trolley? Because it, we all have such power in our purchasing. Mm. Um, so, but if we don't have a connection, we don't we we don't think, and we don't we don't pay the extra value that's needed at times for yeah. quality or for sustainable food or for um you know sustainably sourced food or fair trade or things that have that that are trying to programs that are trying to improve our food systems um we need consumers to experience it to be able to value it Mm. Mm. yeah and you can't yeah you can't do that over social media that experience we need the tastes we need the smells we need (laughs) we need everything (laughs) all of that yeah yeah so so, some really exciting that that course is launching next year and you know let's let's just think positively that everything's going to be moving in the right direction to be able to make the most of that and just wrapping up if we want to sort of reflect back and about all the different things we've talked about what would your three take-home messages be around culinary nutrition yeah look I think for dietitians it would be to remember that we don't eat nutrients so it's food first we eat food so keep wherever you can think about that food first philosophy whatever you're doing in your practice the cooking um, is incredibly powerful and it's more than just putting um, grams of fiber and you know enough you know iron into yeah. a plate of meal or that not every meal is going to have half a plate full of veggies I mean we just we don't eat that way we have so many mixed meals so cooking is incredibly powerful and and particularly that um, commensality, the shared meal, so that it's it's cooking but it's sharing the meal as well. Um, and then recognising that colouring nutrition is an old, new, <laughs> very mm-hmm. emer- uh, quite an exciting emerging practice area for dietitians and that it will become a distinct practice area with its own competency standards and that that opens up kind of new ways of thinking and new territories and new frontiers for us as our profession which is really exciting yeah it really is it really is and if listeners want to know more about you personally but also with regards to culinary nutrition where can they find you yeah so if they want to know more about the course um they can google australian catholic university graduate certificate in culinary nutrition science and they'll get um there's information already on the website and there's my 
uh, contact email there, which is emma.sterling at acu.edu.au. But I still love social media, Nikki. <laughs> I mainly yeah. hang out on Instagram these days and I post a lot of updates there as well or anything that I'm doing in the culinary nutrition space. And um, I'm just on Instagram at Emma Sterling. Yes, you were always like a one leading the pack in social media and your with your blog even what over 10 years ago as well. Um so it's good that you're still engaging and sharing your messages through through that avenue as well. Um Emma, it's been so amazing to talk to you today. I just love chatting to you and wish we lived closer (laughs) but it's been great to connect again and I really do hope that once we're able I can at least make a visit to Melbourne and see you in person but just for the opportunities with that graduate certificate in culinary nutrition as well. Yeah no thanks Nikki and my my um, heart and best wishes go out to New Zealand. I love coming to visit and I love um, all the New Zealand dietitians I've met over the years. So, yes, I wish I wish you well, but it will happen. We have to be optimistic. Come mm. for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival and we'll have some food and a glass of wine and, um, <laughs> you know, it'll be fantastic. But, yeah, anyone at all that's listening that would like, I'm putting together a mailing list of people that are interested in the course um, and, yeah, watch this space because I do see down the track that we will almost have like a formal community of practice moving forward as we evolve over the next few years and Mm. I'd love to love to keep it in contact yeah and that's just such an exciting prospect so yeah thank you for all your work Emma and thank you for the conversation today really appreciate your time thanks Nikki Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe so you can find out when new episodes are released. And if you love the podcast, please consider leaving a review so more people can discover it. In the meantime, you can follow the podcast and my work over on Instagram and Facebook at Nourish with Nikki. And to find out more about working with me one-to-one to improve your gut health, energy and mood, then visit NikkiHurstHouse.com to book your free discovery call today.